I think it's interesting because we look at the book of Titus, it's a little book, but there's a little letter, but there's a lot of information here. And of course, the, the book of Titus was written to Titus by the Apostle Paul. And of course, he had Timothy, and he's trying to help Timothy and encourage him also, and wrote him two letters. Uh, I, I think that Timothy was the younger, Titus was the more mature. And in here alone, the, 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 it's, it's mapped out and, and really easy for you to understand in the three chapters, what's written here. But I'm going to explain to you a few things and then narrow it into uh, verse 13 of chapter 2. But in chapter 1, he's talking about spiritual leadership. And so we're, we're looking at the church today changing. We're having all of this desire to go virtual. Um, and, in, and, in, and in this frozen tundra area, sometimes it works better for some of the older folks to stay home. And so, hi, good to see you today. God bless you. We're praying for you. Uh, you younger folks will see you soon. But uh, what a blessing it is to be able to have that tool. And they're trying to work on a little more. It might be a little different today um, because of, of a new camera that we got. But I hope it works out okay and the sound is okay. And the sound, is, I think, is the main thing. But spiritual leadership is absolutely essential. And it's really hard to have spiritual leadership when you're doing everything virtual. Um, it's, it's difficult that way. You want to be able to meet with the people that are in leadership, talk to them, have, have fellowship with them. Communication is essential, and it's a little more difficult because everything is done by phone or whatever. But when, when God was directing uh, in Paul's life to inform Titus on how he should run things, he was saying, I want you to set things in order. And uh, on the island of Crete, uh, there was churches that had been started, Praise the Lord for the gospel getting out. Then Paul was giving uh, Titus the responsibility to ordain elders, and they had to specifically have qualifications in in the pastors of those churches, and the leadership was mapped out um, there. In chapter 2, we went from spiritual leadership then to sound doctrine. And the doctrine is mentioned here. In fact, some of the commentaries... um, that I was reading this last week concerning this passage was encouraging me uh, that, I, that I was right on this. This is the, the, the particular chapter of, of sound doctrine. It was important for the church there. Look at verse number one of chapter two. And speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So healthy teaching. Make sure that there's healthy teaching within the church that you can actually help the people so that they can instruct them so they can live a godly life. And some of that instruction is actually given to us in the second chapter. We're going to look at that in just a moment. The third chapter, if you look at your Bibles, it begins with this desire to be subject with those that are in authority. So that is actually, I believe, submissive spirits. And so for a church to function properly, to be able to be really, to, to glorify God and to be what God wants them to be, I think spiritual leadership is first. Sound doctrine is just as essential. Uh, submissive spirits or a servant spirit attitude is, is, is part of it. So that's what makes up the church, and this is what Paul was expressing to Titus to make sure he sets things in order, get these three areas in tune. And so by doing this then, you go back to the doctrine section, verse, uh, um, verse number 13 of chapter 2, he's showing us something here concerning the gospel of grace. And so um, before we get to verse number 13, I want to just share with you that in this particular portion of Scripture, God is showing us that, that the grace has appeared to all men. So God has actually shown 
uh, the world his grace. And in a world of confusion, in a world of contention, God is still showing his grace and his mercy to this world. And God wants us to understand his mercy and his grace. And it says in verse number 11, if you look at it, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So now he's talking about the salvation that is done by grace. I think to go a little further, we need to remember that these chapters were not chapters when they were written. Paul was giving that same thought in in chapter number 3. If we look at just a few verses there, if we connect verse number 11 of chapter 2 with verse number 4 of chapter 3, look what the Bible says in verse number 4 of chapter 3. But after that the kindness uh, and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. So now he's talking about that revelation or the manifestation of God on this earth, which was Jesus Christ, walked here for 33 years, was, was, was uh, crucified, rejected of men by those that should have loved him. He was crucified. He did die. He rose the third day. And this is the grace of God. And he's conveying this, if you would, to, to the church here, at, 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 to, to Titus, to, to teach the churches, ch- churches. And so we're dealing with the gospel of grace and how it's explained. And so the, the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Look at the next verse, verse number five of chapter number three. It says, not by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he has shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so when we're talking about the hope that is in Christ, we're talking about people who have been regenerated, people who have been saved, people who have been born from above, then we have this blessed hope, if you would, and the Bible's telling us to look forward to that. And so the Bible's clarifying that those that actually have, have this understanding of being justified by faith, as it says um, here in verse number, um, verse number seven, that being justified by his grace, I, I am not justified by my works. And the Bible's clarifying that. No matter how good I am, I cannot be good enough to go to heaven. No matter how many good deeds I've been involved in, I cannot do uh, good deeds to the place where I, I automatically get into heaven. The only way that I can get to heaven is by the grace of God and his righteousness through Jesus Christ being imputed unto me, given to me, laid upon me by the grace of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his shedding of the blood on the cross of Calvary. And so understanding that then, we understand when the Bible's talking about salvation, it's talking about those that have been justified by faith and not by good works. He goes on to say in verse number eight, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works, and these things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable 
in vain. Look back with with me, if you would, just for a moment, at verse number 11, where it says that the grace of God uh, that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. And help us to understand that God has given us in this country chance and opportunity after opportunity to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's done it through the preaching of the Word of God. He's done it through door-to-door visitation. He's done it, done it through track ministry, through, through um, television. I remember uh, just being a little boy and watching on a black and, light, black and white TV and watching Rex Humbard, Humbard and, and uh, other men like that on TV. Oral Roberts, my mom and dad used to watch years and years ago. That might ring a bell. And... Uh, Billy Graham was on TV back in those days, and they had tent meetings back in the 40s and, and uh, having all these wonderful understandings that God actually has brought the gospel to America. I remember being down uh, the, to, the, to, the, to Culver's one day. I was walking to get my car fixed, and I was traveling down... Um, down Cottage Grove Road, just walking, and my, my car was being fixed, and I was on my way back to pick it up. I had Brother David pick me up at the shop when I dropped it off, and he dropped me off at my office, and I was working. It was time to go get it, and so I, I got on Cottage Grove Road and walked down to Culver's, and I sat all alone, and uh, the owner came over and said, can you go see my parents right over there and talk to them? And so I had an opportunity to, to go over and sit down with the owner of Culver's parents, and they'd been through a lot. Their son had passed away here a few years ago, um, had, had passed away because of, uh, had a heart condition um, while some people were robbing him, and uh, they didn't call the police, and so Paul's brother did um, die, and uh, because of that, 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 that terrible thing that happened, and so, um, and so I had this in my mind as he asked me to sit down with his parents, and maybe his thinking was that I could encourage his parents a little bit, so I I thought, okay, I'll go over and sit with them and talk to them. And they own A&Ws, they own Culver's, and sat down, just chat with them a little bit. And I'll tell you what, folks, I went over to encourage them, and boy, they encouraged me. They told me about being in a tent meeting in Madison years and years ago. In the 1950s, when they listened to the speaker up there tell them the glorious story and, and giving them that blessed hope of Jesus Christ. And they came down and they accepted Jesus Christ as their saviors. And while they were telling me this, they were so happy. And, and the wife was confirming what the husband was telling me. And they were talking about their most recent home church study that they were going through was, was um, they were going through with Charles Spurgeon. And I, I, I just lifted my heart. I got, I got on the road again and walked to get my car. And I was thinking, praise the Lord for the gospel of Jesus Christ that was preached to America. It was actually preached here in Madison. For many, many years, people have been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to Madison, Wisconsin. And I praise the Lord for that. But the story never gets old. And this preaching is actually here. The gospel of grace is explained in the passage. It helps us to be able to understand a little bit more so that we can encourage others. I think about this particular passage where Albert Barnes said this about it. He said, he said, looking for, in the, the, the verse number 13, looking for, that, mean, that means expecting, waiting for, that is in a, a faithful 
performance of our duties to ourselves and to our fellow, our fellow creatures and to God, and we are patiently to wait for the coming of our Lord. Even Albert Barnes was saying that we ought to be patient in our waiting for the Lord. And so in the passage, I see that there is a, 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 a the gospel of grace explained. But I also see, number two, that there is a dual expectation. What do I mean by that? That, that God is expecting us to live a certain way, and he and we are expecting for him to come back, right? I mean, we're expecting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, m- many of us in this room have read stories about how he came the first time. We have done plays on it. We have, we have expressed it through sermons. The Sunday school teachers have t- taught many, many students about it. And so understanding that, that he came the first time, and then he declares that he's coming the second time, that gives us an understanding of our expectation toward God. The Bible says, call unto me, and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. The Bible is actually telling us then that if we do this, then we'll expect God to do that. So many of us are expecting God to do something because some of you get mad at God because he doesn't do it fast enough. Or, or he has not, you think God's not heard me. God's heard you. You have expectations of him. You ever ask God what his expectations of you are? It works both ways, doesn't it? I have expectations of my wife. She has expectations of me. Have you ever been in a situation where you're in home and you'd say, well, I thought that you would take care of that. Well, I thought it was your responsibility. That happens in the home. Sometimes, if we're really honest, the wife will say to the husband, well, that's, that's more of your responsibility. I expect you to do that. One of the things that I like to do when I sit down with couples and I'm helping them and working out their, their life's plan and, and maybe they're, they'll, they'll lead into counseling for marriage, I think um, the, one of the things I like to do is give them homework. And I want you to write three expectations of him. And you write three expectations of her. You know, um, do, do you think he should pick up his pants and put his shoes away and stuff after he comes home from work? Do you think that's, that's your expectation, correct? Amen. Expectations are, are <laughs> a little personal testimony. Yeah. But I, I expect for you to, to help us with the meals, you know? So the, it both ways, doesn't it, in a relationship? It does with God, too. Dual expectations in the passage are shown here because God is saying, you know, you need to be looking and expecting, but I expect for you. I expect for you in verse number 14. Look at verse number 12. Teaching us, we're talking about the grace of God, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And so we don't get out of it just because the world is corrupt. <laughs> no matter how present you get with this particular word, we're show, it's showing us that today we are to live godly in this present world. With all of the confusion, all of the contention, God desires for us to live godly. And he's saying that here in the passage, teaching us that denying ungodliness, the grace of God does that, the worldly lust that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, that's the expectation that God has of us, that we ought to live that way. 
Then we have the expectation of him looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, but a people that are ready to go to work. So you have the glorious grace explained, but you also have the dual expectation showed to us. But then we have, lastly, I believe it's important for us to remember in this particular passage that these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise you, that you ought to be able to be involved with good works. Look at verse 14, the latter part of it. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, let me tell you something. When you, when you get saved and you're truly close to God, there is a desire to get some work done for him. I've seen it over and over at this church where people get right with God and they begin to, begin to experience God in a special way. They say, what will you want me to do, Lord? What can I do? They come in and they work as a secretary or they'll, they'll work in, in building something or they'll, they'll get the music in place. And so when God begins to work in his people, work gets done because there's a zealousness within them to desire to do the work of God. But I want to go a little further in this passage and talk to you this morning about that blessed hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse number 13 says, looking for that blessed hope. And I think it's, it's interesting because the Bible's giving us an understanding that there is truths that are related to that, um, that blessed hope. And I want to give you some of those this morning. First of all, there are three important related truths in the text. Number one is salvation, the beginning of everything for the believer. And so the beginning of my life with God begins in salvation. It doesn't begin with church attendance. It doesn't begin with with loyalty to some cause. Um, It begins at salvation. My walk with God begins then. Then there's separation. That's really the secret of understanding and having the blessings of the Lord upon your life and uh, knowing that we can obey him. And God gives us then what we want and what we desire. He blesses us with even some of the things that perhaps we don't think we deserve. But God provides them for us because he loves us. I had a picture that I put out on on the internet just the other day on a couple that lived in 1925 in Montana. It was an Indian couple. Maybe you saw the picture. It just moved me to tears. You see, not everybody has what you have. Not everybody has had it as good as the Americans have had it. All across the world, there are poor people, and there were poor people here. There are right now today. But in 1925, I saw a picture of a couple, a Native American couple that was living in their house, and they were just outside of their home, and it was made, looks like it was all of logs, and uh, their clothes were absolutely filthy. Um, they looked like they hadn't had baths for a long time. Kind of looked like me, I haven't shaven, you know, because I'm going to grow my beard back. But I think about how that we've been so blessed. I kept looking at the picture and thinking about my great-great-grandfather and thought about, thought about my great-grandfather and then thought about my grandfather and thought about how wonderful and how blessed we've been in this country. And God didn't make a mistake. He blessed us in this country. But I think we've made a mistake in what we've done with the prosperity and what we've done with it. And I, I think about that couple in 1925, and I don't know how much longer they lived after that picture was taken, but it moved me because sometimes your eyes and what you see affects your heart. 
And I was thinking about how, how good we have it and how, how wonderful that we have. I mean, we're kind, of, uh, we're kind of blessed that we can actually buy two masks and wear them. You know? Um, just a thought. Yeah. But it's interesting as we think about this particular portion of Scripture, we're thinking about salvation and separation and the second coming of Christ. All in a little portion of Scripture. And there's so much doctrine in this particular chapter even. But it's giving us an understanding of salvation by grace, but it's also giving us an understanding of the second coming of Christ. All of us know that he rose again the third day and he ascended back to heaven. We know that. We know that because the angels told us, especially in Acts 1.11, gives us that clarification that he's going to come back in like manner. And that announcement was actually made. But when we're talking about the second coming of Christ, and, and I, I believe that there is going to be a rapture first before the Lord comes back to this earth. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is the day of rapture of the church. I think it's interesting because the Bible uses the word blessed hope. Now, when we're talking about hope, we're talking about the blessedness of, of, of hoping, not, not like in a lottery ticket where I hope I win by chance. We're talking about hope that is based upon the word of God and faith and trust that the word of God is true, that Jesus Christ is going to keep us from that hour of temptation that God is going to draw out his people. Now, when hope is deferred, the heart is sick. That's how important hope is. Hope is like helium to the heart. When you begin to place your trust and your hope in the Lord, it's like you rise to another level because you're hoping in something that's out of your hands, that you're, you're trusting God and you're hoping that God will come and return and receive you unto him and your hope of heaven is there and someday you'll be able to see your loved ones that have passed on before you and you'll be able to see some of the prophets and some of the New Testament people someday. You'll be able to see the eyes of Jesus and you, you have that hope in you. And it is a blessed hope. But for somebody who doesn't have that hope, their heart can become sick. And uh, I think when we have that hope of the Lord, I, I think it's important for us to be steadfast in our faith. We talked about that, steadfast in our hope, also steadfast in our love. But the steadfast in your, in your hope. Turn with, you with, with, with me. I want you to look over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. It's actually the last... Let's do this. The last verse of 1 Corinthians. Paul is shifting his thoughts. Let's go to verse number 22. Well, let's go to verse number 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. That's the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. And Paul is giving his salutation here. I'm sorry. Yeah, 16. If any man love not, let's go to verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to verse number, number 20 first. All brethren greet you, greet you one another with a holy kiss. That verse was actually written prior to COVID. So I just want to let you... Just, to, just want to clarify that. Um, we don't kiss people here. Uh, at Grace Baptist, just in case people are watching, 
from Madison Health Department. So, uh, in Eastern Europe, they, they do this quite common in some places. I, I remember I went to a missionary trip to Romania, and uh, we went to all kinds of churches. My cheeks were red because they don't shave. They were like me, bristly. And everybody was kissing me on each side of my cheek. The, the men were, you know. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, here he comes. I want to say, pace, pace. You know, that means peace. You know, first, you just stick your hand out. This is what we do in America. You know, just a thought. But it's interesting here because he says that we're supposed to have that kind of fellowship, one with another, the salutation of me, Paul, and of my own hand. And so if, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, anathema. Pretty powerful word. Then the word of Maranatha is next. The word Maranatha means, oh, Lord, come. That's what Maranatha means. Anathem, that particular word means really cursed or without hope. And so if we're talking about the people that are without hope, and remember, there are those living in the world today without hope. And by the way, you want to know what something looks like? Without the trust of God, look at the Democratic Party. Look at some of the Republican Party. They want to do things without God. Stimulus, because they don't know God. And they have no hope outside of, they have no hope, nobody has any hope outside of Jesus Christ. So we have a world of confusion and contention because they're still under the curse of sin. And they don't even realize it. Look at one group just really angry toward another group. And, man, they're just like mean and vicious. And it seems like, you know, the election now, after the election, things are going to settle down. No, they got worse. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the fear. Did you know they have, they have at least a 10-foot fence at the Capitol with Constantine wire all the way around it? I mean, they're more secure than we were in Beirut because they could just crawl through the Constantine wire, and they did. But these people? I mean, and then if you look, if you look you'll see actually a soldier every 10 yards. You know? They don't just have one person on watch. Every 10 to 15 yards is another soldier standing there. And then there's the Capitol Police in place. And it's almost as if they think that we're going to go to war. That's what it looks like. It's confusing me, but this is what a world looks like without the Lord and without trusting the Lord. And how can we understand this? I think the Bible gives us a clue here of what they are, that word accursed. I looked a little further, anathem. That, that particular word means without hope, without hope. So if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Let him be without hope. O Lord, come. And Paul was ready to go. He thought the rapture was going to take place in his lifetime. He says, I fought a good fight. It's time to go. You know, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And he had that kind of thinking. And here we are, all of these years later, still looking for the rapture of the church and waiting. It hasn't happened yet. It is a literal event that will take place. 
So in the passage here is giving us an understanding that there are going to be those without hope. Now turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians, because we see it here. We see it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And many of you have read this passage, but I want to read it to you again, just to remind you that there is going to be a departure of Christians, and we are going to be removed. And by the way, the tribulation has not started yet. Do you know how I know? Because I'm still here. Because the Christians are still here. The Christians will be removed during the tribulation. It will come. Not after the tribulation, because it doesn't make sense, the second coming of Christ. Why would God usher us into his presence to bring it back down again real quick? Because he's coming the second time. And it says, when Christ shall appear, we also shall appear with him in glory. And so he's showing us he's bringing his people with him at that time. But look what it says in verse number 13. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. But I would not have you, you, you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So there's going to be those that don't have any hope. There's nothing more grievous to a pastor to do a funeral where there isn't any hope of salvation for that individual now. That's very difficult. Can you ask somebody else to do that funeral? I remember talking to Pastor Coots because I had to do a funeral for someone, a loved one. And Pastor Coots said, Dean, just preach to the living. Teach the living. Speak to them. Because they still have hope that they'll put their faith and their trust in Christ. The Lord allowed me to have a ministry when I got out of Bible college. Not a ministry, but I called it that. It was It was work where I would take oxygen to people and I would deliver to their home and made sure that they were set up on it and had everything in place. The respiratory therapist was glad that I came and I give a little instruction to the people. So I wrote the Breath of Life track there. You'll see the track rack because I felt like it was one last opportunity for me to give somebody a track. And if they fired me for giving them that track, then they can fire me. I didn't care. At that particular time, God called me to get the gospel out to these people. For a whole year, I was there working there before I came here to Grace. And uh, I remember one home that I went into, and I had to pick up everything. I had to pick up the bed. They had an automatic bed. They had a machine oxygen machine there. They had electric, or they had a liquid oxygen and an electric oxygen for the person. I was getting it all in the truck, and then it was time for them to sign something, and I couldn't find the people, and I found them all in the kitchen. They were just wailing, sobbing thinking, man, this is really hard because they have no hope that they'll see their loved one again. This is serious business. And so when we're talking about them having no hope in the scripture, it's actually, Paul is saying, but you have hope. And it's encouraging. He's an encouraging letter. And he's saying, you're not like those that don't have hope. We have hope. And it's that blessed hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving us that understanding, he goes on to say in in verse number 14, and remember, he's talking about those that have hope, for if we, and that particular sentence, if we, can be changed, if you wanted to, you could. It's it's the constructive of it in the Greek language is since you've been. Sometimes we look at it as a proposition, but it's really a confirmation. For if we believe that Jesus died, or 
Since Jesus has died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. And so he's giving them a clue that the dead shall rise first, that we're not going to precede them. They're going to be involved with this too. They're not going to miss the rapture. They're going to be involved with it also. And this is giving us that truth here. It shall not precede them which are asleep, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. He shall descend from heaven in the clouds. But it says, for the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, those three things, a shout of the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, those have not been heard yet, but will be. The dead in Christ shall rise first. It says, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So when we're talking about the hope, the blessed hope, we're talking about being a day of rapture. We're talking about it being a day of resurrection. We're talking about being a day of redemption. Because the Bible actually makes it really clear the believer is sealed until that day of redemption. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse number 30 of chapter 4. And a day of reunion, what a blessing that will be to be able to see people that we haven't seen for a long time. And their bodies are going to be changed, of course, but we'll still recognize them. It's going to be a day of rejoicing because it will be a joy that'll be actually in seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a day that will be. When we're in heaven with the Lord, wow, it's like a total rest, a, a peace coming over us and saying, now you're home, finally. It will be a day of joy because you know that all of your defeats and your failures are completely behind you. Nothing but success now with the Lord. It will be a day of joy because we know that everything is prepared especially for us and It'll be a peace that really we don't even comprehend. It's something that we can't even express how beautiful heaven's going to be. As I look about this and understand that it's so close, sometimes I wonder if we just need to, need to look to the Lord every single day these days. Say, Lord, I know you're coming soon, but there is work to do because there are still souls that are undone. There are still people that need Jesus Christ. Amen? So I wanted to encourage you by taking you to one last passage this morning, to the book of Revelation. And I want to speak to you in the final moments concerning the church at Philadelphia. And remember, when we're talking about the book of Revelation, we're talking about things that have actually have happened, the things that are going to be right now, and things that will happen in the future. So as we're looking at Revelation, and many churches don't go here. Uh, they, they don't. They, if, if eschatology is not taught uh, in, in churches a lot of times, we teach it here because we're biblicists. We can't, we can't, we have the proper eschatology because we're dispensationalists. 
it helps us understand a little bit more of how God is working at that particular time. We are in the dispensation of grace today. We're still here, and we're fixed in that until the Lord Jesus Christ comes to receive us to himself. But one of the things that I've always held to is that in John chapter 14, God was settling his disciples down by letting them know that they don't have to have a troubled heart. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I shall come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. So when we're looking at this going to where he is, he's giving us a clue that he's going to snatch away the Christians and take them to a place called heaven at some time in the future. He says, let your hearts not be troubled in this. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And I'm going to go again, and I'm going to receive you then unto myself that where I am, you're going to be there also, a specific place. He's going to take us there. He's going to take us there, and he's going to hold us there, of course, uh, for seven years during the difficulties that are going to be on this earth. And then the second coming comes. And I think that sometimes I go through these things, and I think you already know. And many of you may, may, may have not determined the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming. They're, not, they're, not, they're two different events. You, you can't have, you can't have a, a removal of all of God's people and then a quickly coming back down, there has to be some events that happen in between. There's still the 70th week of Daniel that has not even been accomplished yet. God is not done with Israel yet. He is still working with them. That's why our eyes are upon Israel at times, more than normal. But in this particular church, he's commending them. Look at verse number one, or verse number seven, if you would, of Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write these things, that he that is holy and that is true, that hath the key of David, he hath opened that no man shuts, and he shuts and no man opens. I know thy works. So it's, it's, all, it's all good here. I know your works. And I've set before thee an open door. No man can shut it. Thou hast little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. What, what, a, what a wonderful words of affirmation that, you know, you don't have to be big to be faithful. You don't have to be great, but we have to be faithful. And he's basically expressing that here. Look at verse number nine. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say that they're Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now look what it says in verse number 10, because this is my understanding of it. And studied a little bit more this week. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. I will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Now, if you look at the word keep thee, that actually, in the, in the, in the Greek language, now the, the structure of the Greek, and, I, and I'm not trying to flaunt my Greek here. I'm just trying to help you understand what this means, to keep thee. We look at it as being guard thee and so on. But to keep thee is the word tereso ek tes. Those are three Greek words, tereso ek tes. 
It means I am going to take you out of. Brought out of. I am going to bring you out of that hour of temptation. If you were to, to, to doubt what I'm saying, then look it up. And, and you can find it. You probably have it on your Google thing right now. Google the word, words here. And you can look and see that I'm telling you the truth. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you out of the hour of temptation. Interesting, we look at the word temptation here. It's the word perasmus. And it has the Greek word of perazo. Perazo, you've heard that word used before, but it means to test. And, and, and so if we're talking about the hour of testing, not just the word temptation as far as we know, but is there going to be more temptation toward the second coming of Christ, toward the rapture of the church? Absolutely. But that particular trial and text testing time that they're going to go through, he's saying, I am going to bring you out of that. And so because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. And so everyone is going to have this upon them this particular time. The whole world is going to go through that time of testing, that time of tribulation, that difficulty that we call the great tribulation, the, the Jacob's trouble, the seven years of tribulation it's called. And God is basically telling us, and he's telling the church in Philadelphia, you're not going to go through that. I'm going to bring you out. And this is really the desire of all of us to not have to be thinking about these things and troubled in our hearts because we think that there's going to be a knock at our door tomorrow and they're going to stamp 6-6 on our foreheads. Some of us are so scared. Some of us are so scared that we think that just taking this particular shot in your arm is going to give you a change of DNA and it's going to change your whole thinking process and all that. And we don't have to be afraid of all of this. God knows what he's doing. Is there some deception going on? Absolutely. Follow the money. My goodness. And I can say it from the pulpit, is that there's a lot of greedy people that are very hungry using COVID for their own advantage. And it makes God sick. And someday he'll come for his bride. And before you even know it, you're going to be in his presence. It's not something where you, where you kind of just kind of... Ah. You start floating, say, bye-bye. It's just like that. The twinkling of an eye. And what a day that will be. I've told you before that thinking about the rapture of the church, it kind of get unsettled a little bit because I don't like heights. And, and I've told you before that I hung from a helicopter before and, and looked at the city of Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon, and was going, wow, that's nice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't think it's going to be like that, folks. I think it's going to be immediate comfort. You're going to know exactly what's happening. Boom! Into the presence of God. We'll be with him in the clouds, and then we'll be forever with him in the air. 
What a, what a beautiful understanding of the rapture of the church. And many churches have gotten away from it. In fact, there are, there are teachings now that are actually happening out there that they're throwing eschatology away completely. They don't talk about it too much. Well, I think it needs to be preached. I think we need to comfort God's people by letting them know that the blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ is the rapture of the church. And it ought to comfort one another. I'm not seeking the Antichrist. I could care less who the Antichrist is. I'm seeking Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be so close to him that it's like he's brought heaven down to my soul. I know I'm going to heaven someday. But I really believe I can live now with having Jesus so close to me and walking with him that I can face anything, and so can you, to trust him in times of trial and difficulty in your own personal life. Jesus is near, and he desires to be. Did you know he wants to be closer to you, that you want to be close to him? He desires you more than you desire him. But all he's looking for is for you to simply say, yes, Lord, it's not my ability. It's just me simply saying, Lord, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Yeah, I know times are tough. I see families hurt over all that's going on. I see churches hurting. I see them hurting financially. I see them hurting when it comes to relationships because some people are on edge during this time. You know, I think about people that are in the, the law enforcement, how hard it must be for them. Walk up to someone's car with a mask on. He's got a mask on. How you doing today? You know, I'm doing okay. I just robbed a bank. Can you pull your mask down so I can see who you are? I mean, just think the frustration that's going on in the law enforcement. Think about the health care business and the people that are trying to help people and the people are all upset and fearful anyway. I think that really the health care people are God's angels right now to a world to calm them down because you're going to find all kinds of anxious people and maybe they'll see Jesus in you to where maybe even in their final hours they could trust Christ as their personal Savior. I think about how difficult it must be for the education people to teach over online, not to be able to see their students and to encourage them and to hug them and to say you're doing a good job and just gives them some affirmation. You see, we live in a world that's full of confusion and contention, but you know what? God's given us grace in this world to live godly, in this present world. And we have that blessed understanding and that blessed hope living within us because we got faith and we have hope and we have love. And remember this, too, that that's in acting in us, that particular faith, is actually a work of faith that's exercising our faith in him, reading his word, saying, Lord, I know you wrote this. Thank you for writing it for me. Can I pray now, Lord? And you pray and you talk to him. That's that working of faith in you. Then there's a labor of love. That's doing things for other people. That's actually living a God-centered life rather than a self-centered life. That labor of love for other people. Let me take care of their driveway. Let me take care of their needs. That's the labor of love. And the last is the patience of hope, what I'm talking about this morning. 
And, and, and by the way, that hope and that patience and hope is having hope so that you can persevere and continue to move forward in a world of confusion. God gives you that hope, that blessed hope. You are so blessed to have hope because it'll strengthen you to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. It'll give you the ability to persevere, to be patient. I got to take you to one passage more. First Thessalonians and we'll be all done. First Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Listen to this portion. He says really clearly here, Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica and he's commending them. And he's helping them understand that they're a blessing to the whole region because they've sounded out, verse number 8, the word of the Lord in Macedonia and Achaia. But also in every place your faith toward God is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you and how that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. But listen to what it says. And to wait. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Folks, he is going to take us away before the wrath comes. This verse tells us that. But there is a perseverance and there is a patience that's needed to wait for his dear son. Boy, we commend them. We say, they were soul winners. They got the word of God out. Yes, they were. But they had this incredible desire to wait and be patient. You can't do it without the hope of God living within you. I hope this helps you today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you're at spiritually today. I, I believe that most of you have, in this room, if not all of you, have trusted Christ as your Savior. And we're going to have a baptism in just a moment. But I, I thought it would be important for us to have an invitation this morning. You guys slip out if you'd like. It's important for us to, every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been discouraged. and You've been, you've been waiting on the Lord, but not very patiently been troubled in your heart and that's kind of led you away from him maybe that impatience is something that you need to talk to God about today Christian I I hope that you have trusted the Lord and I hope you have received him but if you haven't he awaits for you he's not going to force himself upon you to have an experience with God is really just stepping out by faith and talking to him, confessing your sin to him. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe it's based upon religion and not a relationship. Then trust him. He's holding his arms open for you wide to come. And Maybe you've done that already. You've trusted him, but you've been struggling, and so the invitation time is for a time for you to come and be able to deal with things in an old-fashioned altar. And I know that there's a lot going on in the world, and there's a lot going on in our city right now, and a lot going on with the weather. But let's just take a moment and seek the Lord this morning. And if you need to come, he's been calling you to come. Just 
spend time with him. Why don't you come this morning and kneel down and talk to God? With every head bowed and every eye closed, stand to your feet if you no one looking around this morning. Come, you come. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen.